You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today we continue going through the book of 1 Corinthians. The message is entitled, Servants and Stewards, Not Judge and Jury. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. here this morning and I'm excited to share God's word. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning as we make our way through the book. We've been through the first three chapters. Let me begin by telling you this morning, my uh, spirit is excited, but my body is tired. It has been an eventful few days for me. Y'all know I had to go down to seminary for a class and it's funny how God works. That's something I was kind of dreading. I've been dreading it for a uh, a few months because it's a long, long time in class. You get to sit in class. I was there Friday from 11 till 9, and then yesterday from 7 till 4, and it's something I've been dreading, but God just worked it out to where it's been one of the best few days I've ever had. I had no idea that during this weekend I would get invited to go to a Saints game. So Thursday night I got to go see the Saints, even though they lost. It was fun. Then we did the seminary stuff and the street evangelism, even the class, all of it was just such a great time. And then to cap it all off, we went and saw LSU have a wonderful victory last night. It has been a good time. Something I learned in this evangelism class is interesting hearing from other people, objections to people coming to Christ. And one of the objections you often hear is that I'll have to give up my life and life as a Christian is just going to be boring and not fun. Well, Let me tell you, if you ever hear that, you tell them your pastor has more fun than anybody you know, because I have had a fun, fun couple of days doing this stuff. As we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul has spent literally the whole part of this section of the book dealing with unity, dealing with disorder, and in doing that, he's dealt with how he spoke to them and who they are and who the apostles are. And here we get to a passage in Scripture, and this kind of wraps up this section of the book in chapter 4 about unity. Uh, And then going forward, it's going to talk about some more problems. But I'm only going to spend spend time today on five verses, because these five verses are, are, are simple, yet they're kind of complicated. And if we don't understand these five verses, we're going to have a hard time going through the rest of the book. Let me tell you, if y'all watched the Saints game Thursday night, y'all know a lot of it was just kind of a train wreck. It looked good for a little bit. And I was there in that game, and that Superdome I read holds 76,000 people. And it's pretty incredible. Out of the 76,000 spectators there, it's like every one of us thought we were a coach. At one point, I wanted to look down and just say, put me in, coach. Put me in. I could throw the ball better than that. I could catch that ball in the end zone. It would be tied. Or let me call a play. Let me do it. Everybody there thought that we could do better than the coach, thought we could do better than the players. Kind of had our roles mixed up. Thankfully, that wasn't the case last night at LSU. Well, that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning, going through this first five verses of 1 Corinthians. I want to begin by pointing out one specific verse in the latter part of the chapter is verse 16. And everything I want to say today, I want to kind of base off this, where Paul tells the Corinthians, therefore I urge you to imitate me. 
One of the things that happens when we read the words of the apostles, we say, well, Paul's an apostle. He's called to a different lifestyle than me. He's got a different calling than me. But Paul says, I encourage you to imitate me. So when we see how Paul and how Apollos were, we can see a man worth imitating. What I've called this message today is that we're called to be servants and stewards, not judge and jury. So let's read these first five verses and dive into it a little bit deeper. He says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Simple five verses, right? But there's a lot in here. And immediately you probably see what I'm talking about. You see servants, you see stewards, and then you see the idea of judgment coming up. I want you to look at verse 1, and I'm going to break verse 1 up into two parts. He says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Paul wants them, the Corinthians, to consider him and Apollos and any other leaders servants of Christ. But what's interesting about this text is if you know any Greek at all, usually when you read, it's often Paul refers to himself as a servant. And when he does that, he usually uses the word doulos. It's one of the first words you learn in Greek because it just repeats over and over. But here, he uses a different word. Here, he uses a word, haparates, and that word is equated with being a servant. But it's more equated with being a worker, a crew member. It's literally translated as being an under rower of a ship. In this time, the, the, these ships, they would be guided by a captain, but it would be teamed up by a team of men down in the bowels of the ship, rowing the ship, using their strength. The captain guides the ship, and the under rowers just follows instructions. If we're going to imitate Paul, like he says in verse 16, we're to be under rowers. We're to be workers for Christ. Christian leaders must be servants. They must follow the commands of Captain Christ Jesus. The role of servant, which Paul speaks of, let me tell you, it's a difficult job. It's a dirty job. It's not a very prestigious job. Nobody wants to be in the bowels of the ship. But Paul says for them, he says to consider them as workers, as under rowers, as servants of Christ. And for us to consider them as such. So many of us today, we... Our church is in a mess because we don't want to get in the fray. We don't want to be workers for Christ. David Jeremiah, a preacher I like listening to, he once told the story, and I was actually here in person for this. And he told the story where there was a room, kind of like this room, that's got to be cleared out for an event they were having. And he had just hired a new ministry staff member. And this new ministry staff member had a theological degree probably a Master's of Divinity, maybe even a Ph.D. And do you know what his response was to Dr. David Jeremiah as he was moving chairs? He said he wasn't being paid for manual labor. And David Jeremiah said, you're right, you won't be paid for any other labor either after today. And he released him that day from duty. 
Christians, especially Christian ministers, we're called to labor. We're called to be in the bow of the ship. We're called to get dirty and we're called to do what the captain tells us to. And like I said in verse 16, Paul did this and he tells us to imitate him. So may we imitate Paul by being a worker, by being a crew member, by realizing that we all have a part to play in this ship. Get in the fray, get in the fight. Work. Let's work till Jesus comes like we sang a minute ago. Christian, I want you to know Christ has not called you just to sit in the spectator seat. He's not called you to be a cheerleader. He's called you to get in the game and have a key impact. Your position may be different than Paul's. It may be different than mine. But you have a place to serve. You have a place in the ship. And I want you to know when you said yes to Jesus... You said more to heaven. You said yes to service. You said yes to pick up your cross and follow Him. And I want to tell you, church, being a servant, being a worker for Christ, it may be not a very prestigious job. It might not always be the funnest job. But let me tell you, it is a very very rewarding job. It's a job worth doing. It's the only service in the wide world you will ever do and know you're having a positive impact on your community, on your church, and even eternity. Going out yesterday in New Orleans on the street, some of us went in the French Quarter, some of us went to Jackson Square, I went door to door, we heard all kinds of things. It was hot, it was scary for for some people. Me, it wasn't no big deal, but for some people it was scary. But can I tell you, it's so rewarding to know two people received Jesus. Eternity was changed because we went out on the streets. Some people did not change their minds. Some people are happy where they're at. But you know what? They heard the truth. And they won't go to hell because somebody didn't tell them. We had a positive impact. And that same impact you can have as well. We're called to be workers for Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there in verse 1. He says, let a man consider us as servants of Christ. And he says, stewards of the mysteries of God. We're called to be stewards for Christ as well. Paul also wants them to consider him and Apollos as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now he's not talking about a, a murder mystery, you may say, but the truth of God's word. Mysteries of of the Old Testament that the New Testament believers could not understand. Mysteries, like he said in chapter 2, that the, the world couldn't have understood or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I want to tell you, church, this was Paul and Apollo's gift, stewards of the mysteries of God. They had a gift to explain and even write the, the New Testament. And I want to tell you, all Christians are gifted with something. Paul and Apollos were gifted to understand these mysteries. And as a Christian, you're given gifts, you're expected to use them, and you're expected to steward them wisely. We must not abuse them. Fortunately, if you're like me, if you've been in church very long, you have probably seen pastors and teachers and other Christians abuse their roles. They take the Bible to teach something the Bible just does not teach. It's being a bad steward. Preaching false gospels. Teaching false teaching. 
Even making false prophecies all to make a buck or all to make a name. And I want to tell you, church, we don't get to do that. It's like your parents giving you a million dollars. And then you take that million dollars and you go down to Creole at the casino and you blow it all. You just throw it all away that your parents gave you. We're to be good stewards of the gifts God has given you. Whatever gifts God has blessed you with as a Christian, and He's blessed you all with the gift, church. I really want you to know that, every one of you in here. You would be wise to steward it wisely. God does not give gifts with the intent that they go unused. God doesn't put you in the ship and intend for you to sit idly and not use them. God does not intend for you to abuse your gifts and make no notoriety or personal gain. God intends you to use his gift to help build his house like that picture, to help put his house in order. Let's talk a little bit about stewards. And this is what he says in verse 2 about stewards. He says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So we're called to be servants. We're called to be stewards. But as a steward, we're called to be Faithful stewards. In a manner of speaking, we all get gifts and we all steward them one way or the other. Some steward them well and some just totally waste them. Paul says it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Jesus also hit on this and I put it in your bulletin. It's in Luke 12, 48. In the parable, Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given... From him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. You're given gifts and you're called to steward them gifts wisely. How many of you know this morning that good help is just hard to find? I'll tell you, the saints know it. I've seen that this week. You know, if you give somebody a job, if you're an employer and you give somebody a job, you equip them with all that's needed to do the job. And you expect them to take what you've given them and do that job. Let me give you an example of what I believe Paul's talking about here. A few weeks from now, YC will be here. The church is generous and we're going to provide the funds and the church van and whoever to go with the youth to YC to hear the gospel preached, to have a good time, to fellowship. Well, suppose the church equips them with all that. We give them a van. We give them the funds. We give them the money. We reserve all this. And then we come out the next Sunday and we find out that instead of going to YEC, they took the funds, they took the van, and they drove to a Taylor Swift concert. How would you feel about that, church? Well, we gave them the gifts. We gave them the van. They were going to a concert, but I imagine, I know it wouldn't sit too well with me as a pastor. Now, I imagine it wouldn't sit too well with you as a church member. You give tithes and you give offerings and you expect the church to steward the gifts well. Well, I I tell you, church, I believe that's how God feels when he sees us use and abuse the gifts he's given us. He's given some of you great teaching ability and you teach great. Maybe you teach at school, maybe you teach at home. God wants you to teach the truths of God as well. He gives some of you great monetary blessings and He just pours out His blessings upon you. And He sees many Christians give more money to fast food than He does to His church. It's being a bad steward. 
He gives some of us great teaching and great preaching ability. And He sees us preach about our political candidates. He sees us preach about how we feel about Republican and Democrat. He sees us preach about LSU and the saints. But He never sees us preach and argue for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given some of us great gifts at at being servants of hospitality and taking care of others. And, And thank God for our nurses and our doctors. But he sees people use them in the hospital and they never use them with the broken in our community in the street. I want to tell you, apply this by being a faithful steward with the gifts God has given you. I want to tell you, church, you're not being a good steward. Paul was. Paul stewarded his gifts very wisely. He was very careful about what he wrote, very careful about what he taught. Very careful about when to use eloquent words like we've talked about and when not to. You're not being a good steward. You're not being a faithful steward if you aren't using the gifts God has given you. You're not being a good steward if you're abusing the gift that God has given you. So I want to encourage you, find your gift, find your place in the body, find your place in the ship and steward that gift wisely. In these next few verses, this is where the the deep part comes that I really want you to understand this morning. Look at verse 3. He says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. The central idea of the next few verses. You see who we are. You see who Paul is. Paul is a servant. Paul is a steward of the mystery of God. And us, we are servants of Christ. And we are stewards of the gifts God has given us. Well, who gives us the gift? Who do we serve? We serve the captain. We serve the righteous judge. God's the captain, not us. I believe the the, the main idea of the next few verses is that God alone is the righteous judge. Paul states that in verse 3. And he says that, look, I don't care if others are judging me. It's no big deal. And I want to tell you, one of the reasons we don't put ourselves out there, one of the reasons we don't steward our gifts wisely, one of the reasons we don't serve like we should is because we're scared of the criticism. We're scared of the judgment. And I want to tell you, you put yourself out there in ministry, you speak, teach, preach publicly, put it on a podcast, you're going to be judged, you're going to be criticized. Paul was, Apollos was, I am. And I'll tell you, church, you are too. Today, even more so in the days of social media. And Paul makes a surprising statement here. He goes, I'm not even worried about you guys. Your judgment doesn't bother me. It doesn't concern me. But I do care about the judge himself. You know, we live in a world today where everybody is a critic. Everybody is a critic. Saw it at the Saints game. I saw it at LSU. We'll see it probably even after the service. It's the easiest thing in the world to do is to be a critic, to Monday morning quarterback, to backseat drive, thinking about things that you could or you would do differently. And I believe Paul's telling them here, Guys, God's the judge. God is judging me. I'm being faithful to Him. Try to take a back seat and don't be the judge. Don't be like that. 
I want to tell you, servant, don't stop serving. Don't stop stewarding your gifts. Don't let the critics bother you. Don't let the judgment of others bother you. But do care. Do care greatly about the judgment of the Lord. Care about what Christ thinks and no more. The phrase, only God can judge me, that's one that's used and abused like crazy today. But I will tell you something that's something we should believe in, that's something we should take very seriously because God is the judge. He will judge both the living and the dead. And I don't know about you, but I care about what the captain has to say about his under rower. I care about what you have to say. I listen to the criticisms. I listen to the critiques. I apply it as best I can. But ultimately, you're not judge and jury. God Almighty is. In verse 4, he shares that, look, I'm looking at myself and, and I really, I don't know anything against myself. I've done the best I can do. I can't see of how I went wrong. I can't see of how I've led people astray. But even knowing all that, even though that I'm doing the best thing, he says, I'm not justified by this. Justified, a legal term, meaning, meaning to be declared righteous. How is he justified? If he's not justified by doing the best he can, if he's not justified by stewarding his gifts wisely, if he's not justified by being an under rower of the ship, how is he justified? Well, he's justified by the righteous judge. He's justified by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's justified by the blood of Jesus, like Kelly sang about. That's where our judgment comes from. And that's the only judgment that you and I should really, really care about. If you care about that, everything else just falls in place. And this is what he says in verse 5. He says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. We're talking about judge. I believe what Paul's really referring to here is kind of in the Old Testament when you had a judge, a man that 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 kind of sit on a throne and he made judgments, one and final judgment, where he condemned a person, or 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 even she, like like Deborah, you know, they they condemned a person. They made a final uh, judgment. And really what I believe he's talking about here is more about commendation versus condemnation. They're looking at Paul and Apollos, as we've read before, and one is saying, man, Paul is going to have this fruitful ministry. He's going to go on and lead people to Christ forever, and he's going to have all these rewards. And then somebody says, no, he ain't going to have the rewards. It's going to all be Apollos. And Paul says, listen, you guys don't need to judge this. You're not the judge. You don't get to make that decision. And I believe what the truth of this is that we are not to assume the role of judge. Don't assume the role of judge. It's one of the problems this church had was people assuming the role of God Almighty. And next week we'll talk about it. But he, he kind of hits on that in, in a matter of sarcasm, sarcasm later when he says, you've reigned as kings. You're acting like a king on his throne. People acting as judge rather than making judgments based off the righteous judge. When Christ himself 
warned against this. This is the problem that Christ had with the Pharisees. Paul tells them that, listen, the the judgment of other believers, the judgment of others, it really needs to stop and you need to be careful about it. Now, I want to be careful about this because going on, you're going to see that we are to warn others about the judge, but not be the judge and jury. We can, as believers, we're even instructed to, as believers, make judgments. In fact, the the next chapter, chapter 5, Paul says there's a time to make a judgment when it comes to removing people from our assembly. But our making judgments is not the same as acting as the righteous judge. You see, church, we're not the judge, but as a Christian, we have an intimate relationship with the judge. We know the judge. I'll tell you, when you study the life of Paul, and like I said, we base this on verse 16 where he says, imitate me. When you study the life of Paul, we see him making judgments. We see him calling out other believers for sin. We see him preaching the truth of God's word. We see him making judgments, like I said. But except one time, I don't see him taking on the role of judge. Rather, he listens and adheres to the righteous judge. You know, the one time when I see Paul acting as judge, it's in Acts 7 and Acts 8, verse 1. It's when Paul or Saul was a Pharisee and Stephen gets up and he he preaches the gospel and they stone him. And you go read in Acts 7, well, after they stone him, they lay the garments at Saul's feet, just like he's a king, like he's the judge. In Acts 8, 1, I believe it says that Saul was consenting to his death. That's what Paul's warning about here. He's like, guys, we can make judgments. We are to judge fruit. We are to act. But at the end of the day, we do this out of love because we know the judge. We're servants and stewards. We're not judge and jury. I'll tell you. You've seen this. I'm sure you've seen it because I have. There's churches out there that preach, teach, they protest and hate. And they literally take on the role of Almighty God. I'll just say it. Say say one of the names, Westboro Baptist Church. They're one of them. They take on the role that would say God hates you because are you are are You're going to hell. They make the judgment. They take on the role of judge. Now look, it's one thing to point out sin and warn others of pending judgment. I did it yesterday with several people. I made it quite clear that one day we'll have to stand before a righteous judge, but it's not my job to take on that role. It's one thing to make a judgment, but it's an entirely different thing to take on the role of judge. It's dangerous. Church, I'm telling you, God will not have it. So it's a fine line, but walk it carefully. The last thing I I really want to close with is what he says in in verse 5. Until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come. And here's the truth. Judgment is coming. You don't need to worry about casting a final judgment because that final judgment is coming. The judge is coming. Judgment is coming. Paul said it in verse 4. He said, I'm not justified by my works. He's only justified 
by the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus is on the throne. He's the only one. All authority has not been given to Brother Kevin. All authority has not been given to, to Bart Barber of the SBC. All authority has not been given to the President of the United States. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, judgment is coming. And when He comes, my question for you this morning is what will the verdict be? There's really two verdicts. There's guilty and there's case dismissed. The judge looks at Brother Kevin, if he looks at me, and he looks at all I've done, and he looks at all I've studied, he looks at all my sermon prep, and he, and he looks at, at all the street witnessing I did in New Orleans. Boy, you would think I would get a good, com a good commendation. Boy, Kevin, you did good. Come on in. But that's not what God sees. God looks at me and He sees sin. He sees guilty sin. And I need somebody to get up and pay the price for my sin. I heard it said this week, if you're sharing with somebody and they use the excuse that they're a good person, assume you're one of the best people in the world and you sin just one time a day. I only sin once a day. Only one time a day does that adulterous thought. Or maybe I only told one lie a day. If you only sin one time a day for 75 years, 25 years, think of the stack that's weighed against you. Somebody's got to pay the price for that sin. It's thousands of sin. You're standing before the Almighty Judge. Who's going to declare you righteous? It's not anything I've done. It's not anything I can give you. Only Jesus can say, I'll pay the price. I've done it. But you've got to have the faith enough to repent of that sin, to put your trust in Him, and let Him take the sin away and accept His righteousness. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you'll remember that we're servants and stewards, not judge and jury. We're to be workers for Christ, stewards for Christ. As such, we should be faithful stewards. I hope we'll remember that while we're not the judge, we do know the judge, that God is the judge, and that we won't assume his role. Most importantly, I hope you'll remember that judgment is coming, and we should warn others about that in love. If you're in the area, I hope you'll come join us tonight for Trevor Thomas Live. He will be here at 6 p.m. It's going to be a great night. Bring your family, bring some friends, and worship with us through this drama and entertainment. I hope you have a great week, and you'll hear from me next Sunday.